Happy Mother's Day. How are y'all doing this morning? Mothers, thank you this morning. We wouldn't be here without you. Like literally, would not be here without you. We need you. Y'all are awesome for all of the things, the unstuff that y'all do, the, the for hauling us around for nine months in your belly and literally letting us just sponge off of you for nine months, all of those nutrients. And, and when my wife was pregnant, she actually said that she felt like the, bra- the babies were taking her brain juices. So like, I can't think, I can't remember. Like, you moms are awesome. Um, thanks for all of the chicken noodle soup, you know, because dad just can't get it right. I know all you got to do is add water to the can, but somehow dad just can't get it right. Mom, we need you to make the chicken noodle soup. Uh, I want to read a, per, a, a portion of scripture um, from Proverbs 31 this morning uh, before we read from Acts. But uh, I was reading this, and it, it, it's talking about this, the wife of noble character. Um, but there's just a few things that uh, I just thought, man, this applies just to all ladies. Um, and it says this in Proverbs 31. It says, She's energetic and strong. She's a hard worker. She makes sure that her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers are twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor her, her, and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of the winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. This girl's got skills. <laughs> she dresses in fine linens and purples. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with other leaders. She makes uh, belted linen garments and sashes to sell them to merchants. And then this, this is the part that really caught my attention. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She could laugh without fear for the days to come. She could laugh without fear for the days to come. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward again. Uh, we got a little gift for all of the moms this morning. Where are my ushers at? Come on, fellas. This is, this is for all the moms out there. All the ladies. Just all the ladies in the house right here. There's some more of you guys. Give me a few. Right here. There's... Somebody else. We need some more guys. Where y'all at? There you go. What are we doing? Passing them out to the ladies. Yeah. Not you. You don't get none. She could laugh at the days to come. Now, like this serves a few different pur- few different purposes. Everybody get one. You know you're excited about this. You came to church and like, yes, yes. It's also a tension reliever. So whenever that man's getting on your nerves, you just, uh, just squeeze it right there. So like a, a few quick things about Proverbs 31, and then we're going to read from the book of Acts this morning. Uh, but the first thing uh, that you should know about Proverbs 31 is this actually, the end part of it, uh, verses 10 through the end, is actually written in a Hebrew acrostic. It is an ancient form of Hebrew poetry. All right, y'all settle down. <laughs> settle down. It is the ancient form of Hebrew poetry. So the first line uh, of each 
uh, stanza, I guess, that you would say is written with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So just as we would have A, B, C, D, theirs is leaned up. And so, like, there's a certain poetry to Proverbs 31. There's a certain poetry, a certain rhythm to Proverbs 31 where it starts to talk about a woman and a wife of good character. And I just thought to myself, how appropriate when you begin to describe a woman to use poetry. Because poetry is elegant. Poetry is beautiful. And there's not a man in here that understands any poetry. <laughs> and so it's like this is beautiful picture uh, of this woman and, and this poem. And, and what's even more interesting is like all of these things that this woman does. She's buying fields. She's planting vineyards. She's working late into the night. She's making her own things. The only thing that it says about the guy is that he sits at the gate. Like, she does all of the work, and he just kind of sits there, which is still true today, because, come on, let's be honest. Like, women, we know y'all do all of the work, and we just kind of get all the credit sometimes. Like, even Proverbs 31, if you were to read the very beginning of it, it says, these are the sayings of King Lemuel containing the message which his mother taught him. So, like, even this was written by a woman. Like, his mom told him, this is what you need to learn, and I'm gonna even going to write it in poetry, and I'm going to write it into a rhythm that could get inside of you, and you could understand. A means this. B means this. Because that's how guys work. We need things very, very simple, ladies. And, and so his mom even writes this, and she's given him this explanation. But the part that really caught me is where it says that she could laugh without fear for the days to come. She could laugh without fear. Do you know, ladies, that you could laugh at the days to come? Um, have you ever had those moments where you have uh, experienced something just absolutely horrible? Things have gone horribly wrong, and they've gone so wrong that the only thing that you could do is just, well, laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had those moments where uh, we actually had one this week where my wife bought, uh, my daughter Reese, she bought her a new swimsuit, but she bought her the swimsuit with the long rash guard arms because she didn't want her to get burned up this summer. And so Devin's like, shows it to Reese, and look at all this. And, so, and Reese looks at it. Reese goes downstairs, grabs some scissors, and cuts the arms off of it. <laughs> I come down, and Devin's just like looking at Reese, what did you do? And then I look at Devin, and I'm like, you're going to laugh about this one day. <laughs> and to which she's like, well, that day's not today. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? There was, this actually happened a, a few years ago, too. My wife was pulling out of the garage, and she smashed into my car. And then she comes up into the house, and she just, just looks at me, and she tries to get like the cutest look on her face. <laughs> Hey, honey. And then she says these words, you're going to laugh about this one day. <laughs> and to which I look at the car and I said, not today. <laughs> you, know, you know these moments, the, these moments where you, you, things, it's like things get bad and you just have to laugh. Uh, I, I remember one time going to the mailbox and I opened up this bill from the, the hospital. And I just laughed. I was like, like, good luck. Good luck on that one. Add as many zeros to that as you want. You're going to have him. You just got to laugh at it. And I've learned this about you ladies. There's this moment 
where you could come home from work or whatever it is, you come into the house, and there's this moment where maybe you've spent the day with the kids, and then there's just this look on your face. And then you do this thing where it's, it's, it's a laugh, and you're crying, and you're angry all at the same time. It's like all of these emotions are expressed, and I think I've perfected it. I'm going to try it this morning. So I'm going to look into this camera so y'all can see it real good. It goes something like this. It goes. (laughs) And at that moment, you think that you've married Jack Nicholson from Joker Part 1. And you walk out the house backwards just like, okay, kids, come with me. Mom's laughing, but it ain't a good laugh. She ain't, you know what I'm saying? You could laugh at the days to come. But here's, here, here's the premise of today's sermon, and then we're going to read a portion of Scripture from Acts. Here's the thing. That your sin is so great that the sheer idea of you trying to pay that debt is laughable. That your sin, your debt is so great that the sheer idea that, that you can work your way into God's good grace, that you could do anything and you could do all of these works and that our Father would love you more is laughable. Now let's read a portion of scripture from Acts chapter 7. We've been uh, talking about the, the early church here. It's getting going. Things are happening. Uh, people are getting saved. Uh, Peter has preached some sermons. Um, people have gotten healed. And then all of a sudden, Stephen gets appointed head over the food pantry. He is doing a wonderful job. And all of a sudden, uh, he gets brought into question. They do not like Stephen. So Acts chapter 7 is this, this man Stephen, Stephen giving a, a lesson to these people that have questioned him. And if you were to read the whole chapter, the, all of chapter 7, he's basically giving them a history lesson. He's telling them all about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph and David and all of the things, all of the history of the people that, 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 these, that have brought him into question. He's given them a, a wonderful, wonderful history lesson. And if you were there and you were listening to Stephen's sermon, you would be shaking your head because everything that Stephen has said up to verse 51 you would agree with because it's all written down there. It's plain as day. And so, so you're hearing that. And then in Acts chapter 7, 51, Stephen flips the script on him. And all of a sudden he says this. He goes from everybody's agreeing with him. We love you, Stephen. Yeah, amen. Happy face. To verse 51, he says this. You stubborn people. Uh-oh. You're in trouble. <laughs> You stubborn people, you are heathen at the heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, and even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders, by hearing this, were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fist at him in rage. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into the heavens, and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting like they were three years old, right? These are grown men. They put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him, they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. His accusers, they took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, this is the same Saul that will later on come to find his, this is going to be Paul that's going to write a good portion of the New Testament. And so he's there at the stoning of Stephen, and he's watching this, and those men that are stoning him have laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Now, as they stone him, Stephen prayed this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So all of a sudden, here's this this message that Stephen has preached to the crowd. He's given them a history lesson, but then all of a sudden he's flipped it from not just history, but he begins to show them how this is active and moving right now today and how it applies to them. And he goes by showing them, listen, there's this pattern that you have in your life. Do you not see that the prophets, uh, could you name even one that, 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 that you didn't kill, that our ancestors didn't persecute? And, and he's showing that there's a pattern that we have in our lives, and there's this pattern of you keep killing the wrong person. You keep persecuting the very ones that God is sending to you to help you, and you're killing them. He's showing them this pattern. Now, if you were to go to a doctor, you were to have an issue, the doctor would start to ask you all of these questions. Well, and he would even ask you questions that weren't even seemingly related to you. He'd start to ask you about your father and your mother and your grandparents. And your grand- hey, tell me, do you have a history of this in your family? Do you have a history of that? And they'll ask you all of these questions because what the doctor's trying to do is he's trying to establish patterns. Oh, okay, your, your father had heart problems. His father had problems. His father before him had problems. And all of a sudden, he begins to recognize these patterns, and he could better create a diagnosis. And what Stephen's doing right here is he's pointed out all of the history. He shows them, recognize that there is a pattern going on. But here's the thing. When we're involved in the pattern, we very rarely recognize it. We could recognize it in other people. We can see other people's patterns of bad behavior and mess-ups and faults. But whenever it's our pattern, like, we are often completely blind to it. You know, this is, this is that girl that just keeps dating the wrong guy over and over again. And you're just like, do you not see you keep dating losers? Like, why are you doing This is the person that's always broke, and they're complaining about having no money. And you're like, no, the reason why you're broke is you keep buying stupid stuff. Do you not see the pattern? You get a little bit of money, and then you go and spend it on just dumb stuff. There is a pattern in your life. But we, we don't recognize. This is the guy 
that's had 15 jobs and 15 bad bosses. And he has an excuse for every time he was fired. And you want to shake him and be like, dude, let me tell you there's a pattern going on here. And the pattern is you, right? You are the source. You haven't had 15 bad bosses. Is there a possibility that you've been a bad employee? I'm just saying, is there a possibility? That's exactly what Stephen's doing here. Look at the history. Look at the outworking. Look at what's been happening. Is there a possibility that you guys keep killing the people that God is sending to help you? And to which they will prove his point by stoning him in a minute. Like, this, this is just crazy. Like, the patterns are right there in front of us. But when it's ours, we don't recognize it. There's a story of a traveler. That this is back in the 1800s, and he is traveling. Uh, he has moved from one town, and he has uh, branched out. He's got his uh, horse and carriage, buggy. It's all loaded down. He's taken his family, and they are looking for a new place to live. Well, they come rolling down this road to find this old farmer out there farming his field. And I say, hey, this would be a good opportunity to stop and ask this guy, is this a good place to live. And so they stop by the side of the road. They begin to talk to the farmer. Hey, we are looking for a new place to live. Have you been here for a long time? Could you tell us a little bit about this area? And so that wise old farmer said this, well, well, yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. But first, tell me a little bit about the place that you came from. And then they said, oh, the place that we came from, it was, it was horrible. People were horrible. And I, nobody, nobody treated us good, nothing was right, nothing kept going wrong, and that's, that's why we're moving. We're trying to find a, a new place. It was just horrible. And he says, listen, here's the thing. You're going to find the same thing here. So, oh, man, thank you for this advice. And they just, he just kept rolling down the road. Now, later on, that exact same day, someone came up. They were in that exact same trip. They were, had their horse. They had their carriage. They had their bucket. It was loaded down. The whole family was with them. They saw this old farmer farming his field. They pulled up beside him and said, hey, we are moving. We are looking for a new place to stay. Do you know anything about this place? Can you help us out? That old farmer again looks at him and says, well, before I tell you about this place, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you've come from? He said, oh, where we came from was awesome. Man, we just loved the people. They were so wonderful. We had great things. It was beautiful. We had all of this going on and all of this. And, and they just, just man, we, we really hate that we're even having to move. But we, we just kind of feel like God was leading us in a diff- different direction. We're not exactly sure. And, and the farmer looked at him and said, you know what? You're going to find the exact same thing here. This is a wonderful place. You're going to love it. You're going to find good people. And what he was doing was he was pointing out the pattern. How we leave one place is how we enter another. And, and, and the farmer knows that. And, he, and he's showing me, he's like, like, there's these certain patterns in your life. And, and oftentimes, the, the, the biggest uh, thing to the pattern is you. Because you bring it with you. Like, when you got married, you married the whole family. Because that woman brought her mama with her. Even if she doesn't come over. She came over. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all guys, amen? There it goes. All of it. It's a package deal. You know? There's these patterns, and it happens time and time again. 
the children of Israel this beautiful picture of, of these patterns of, of God speaking to them and bringing them out of slavery into a brand new place, a promised land in which he wants to give them. And there, there's one thing, though. You've got to take the land. You, you've got some battles you've got to fight. But they don't want to fight no battles. And so they just keep doing trips around the mountain over and over again. And, like, if you were there, I mean, 40 years of just, like, walking around this mountain, you would think, like, hey, is there a pattern forming here? Like, here's the thing. Is there anybody in here that, you can't say amen at this, because then it would just reveal everything. <laughs> but you've got some patterns that you shouldn't have in your life. You've, you've, you've taken some trips around some mountains time and time again, and you're wondering, and you're ready to break free. You're ready, like, God, I know you've promised me some promised land. I know, you, I know you've promised me some milk and honey. I know you, the plans and the purposes and everything that you have for me. But I've just been doing so many trips around this mountain. But here's the thing. God says, listen, you can't go on to the next thing until you've completed the last thing. You, 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 I want to give you the promised land. I want to break the pattern in your life, but you're going to have to do what I told you to do. You've got some battles to fight. So you just can't wait around and think God's going to forget. Well, it's been 40 years. God doesn't forget. His memory is just like my wife's. She don't forget nothing, y'all. I forget everything. I forget it all. But God doesn't. It's like you can't move on to the next thing until you've done the last thing. You want something new? You want to break the pattern? You want to, you want to step into something brand new with Jesus? You want your life to just, man, you know that there's the life that you want to live, and then there's the life that you're currently living, and there's this gulf in between it? Well, in between that, sometimes there's some battles. And the steps that you've got to take to get from here to there, they always involve one thing. And, and you can't get away from it. Faith. Every time. It, it is the key ingredient to anything that God is calling you to do and telling you to step out, and, and this is, this is it. it's going to take faith because there's going to be some giants. There's going to be some battles. There's going to be some things that, whoa, hold on, this is a little bit scary. And God says, yeah, this is the plan. This is the plan I have for you. This is part of it. You want to break the pattern, it's going to take faith. Faith is the yeast that will make your bread rise to the top. That will make your life, oh man, without faith, meaning is lost. Without Jesus, meaning is lost. I mean, to have these things. And the thing is, though, we keep praying for God to give us something else, but we keep doing the things we've always done. And Einstein, who said, like, that's the definition of insanity? To keep doing the same thing you've always done and expecting to get different results? And yet, come on, let's be honest. This is the pattern that we always fall into. And even the second that we even do maybe step into something new, then we try to change it into the old. Oh, this is how we used to do it, and this is how it's supposed to be done, and this is how my grandfather did it, and this is, whoa, wait, hold on. I thought you wanted something new. See, something new means different than what you had, and it takes on a whole new flavor. And see, this is exactly what's happening right here in Acts 7. Because in Acts 7, there's, there's generations upon generations that are, that are operating on uh, this, 
this idea of what law and religion should look like, and these are the merits in which you approve, uh, of which you win God's approval, which in a lot of ways is summed up in the book of Leviticus. In other words, these are the rules, these are the A's and B's, these are the, the clear lines of the sand of how you can stand worthy before God. These are all of the things that you can do to be made acceptable. And, and, and so there's, there's this battle that's going on, and there's this, these two worlds that are colliding. Because Jesus comes onto the scene, and Jesus seemingly, on the surface, breaks all the rules. Jesus gets up there and he says, listen, you've heard it told by those of old. And to which, whoa, hold, hold on. If you're hearing that, you're like, whoa, wait, hold on. These, these are the people we follow. We follow all these rules. We follow these, this is what makes us right. This is what makes it wrong. But Jesus takes it a whole nother step further. He says, listen, you've heard like murder and adultery and stealing and all of these things. He says, but listen, but I say, if you've even done them in your heart, you're guilty. To which if you were there and you're hearing Jesus say this, you're all of a sudden hitting yourself like, whoa, that means, that means, hold on, I'm in trouble. If, if it's just about the heart, and this, I, I've spent my whole life, I haven't killed anybody yet, I haven't committed adultery, I've done all of these things, so this is why Jesus loves me. It's very clear, it's written in the law, it's written all the rules and regulations, and I've followed them to the T for all of my life, so God must be acceptable to me and, and him, and there's this, but, but wait, hold on, but the heart, whoa, red, red, red flag. Now, like, so imagine for a moment, if when you came in here this morning, we had all these little machines, the machines hooked up to you, and what they did is they projected all of your thoughts onto the screen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I said all of your thoughts. There would be nobody in here this morning. They'd be like, what? She thinks that? Oh, he's a serial killer. You know how many people he has killed just this morning? He's killed his kids. He's killed his neighbor. He's killed all kinds of dogs that are barking late. I mean, he's like, all of this stuff, like, in your heart. You. You, the one that's supposed to be the good Christian that everybody looks up to. And Jesus says, like, hold on, wait, hold on. It's not, there, there, there's some inner things. It's not just about keeping all these rules. And, and, and this is the collide that's taking place here uh, with, with Jesus and talking about grace and, and the law. Because the truth is this. As much as we could be a people that say that, like, we are under grace in that we, 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 we hate the law. We hate this idea. And when I'm using the word religion here, I'm, I'm talking about bad, pharisaical religion. I'm not talking about good and undefiled religion. So when I use this word here, but like we, we gravitate towards religion. We gravitate towards knowing exactly where the line is in the sand so that way we know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. See, we might say that we don't like it and we're, we're not about it, but the fact is everything within us likes to have a very clear black and white. And Jesus comes in and he kind of muddies the water a little bit. And it's like, hey, here's North Carolina and here's South Carolina. Very clear line. And so what happens is like, we try to create all these lines of what's holy and what's not. And like, if you watch a rated R movie, you're going to hell. But PG-13, you're acceptable and Jesus loves you. <laughs> right? It's kind of the unspoken thing. A lot of y'all have grown up in that. It's like, if you listen to K-Love, Jesus loves you. But the second you turn it to classic rock, you're going to hell. 
And don't even be an Eagles fan. Don't even try to sing Hotel California. I mean, you sing Hotel California, that's the equivalent of like Facebooking the Antichrist and y'all being BFFs. Like, because like we like these lines. We like to know like this is what's acceptable. This is not. This is where uh, God loves you and this is where you could be a good little Christian. And, and, and over here, this is where we're going to pray for the salvation of your soul. And it's true. It's true because we just like it this way. We, we like things being simple. And here's the thing. The underlying motivation of this religious law and these things that are colliding here is this. That you can be good enough through your own works. That you can you could follow the rules and God will accept you. You could do all of the right things and... and, and and you will be accepted and make it to heaven. And my friends, this is laughable. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that your righteousness is like filthy rags. In other words, you could toe the line. You could do everything that you believe to be right, everything that you think is going to make you acceptable. And God's like, <laughs> He's just not getting it. And we end up stoning the very ones that try to point this out to us. Because it's a collision. And religion makes us feel better. Religion makes it where we could put our head down on the pillow at night feeling better because, after all, I'm not as bad as that guy. After all, did you see their life? I'm nowhere near as bad as them, so I could sleep good tonight. See, what religion will do is it'll cause you to compare your sense of spirituality to someone else. And as long as you could be better than someone else, then you're okay. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, I'm about to step on some toes, this has been the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to create this sense of holiness and righteousness that if you could just live to be good enough to have, as well as the pastor, then you're okay, and you're accepted within the fold, and Jesus loves you, and then you could keep coming. And we would never say that out loud, but that has been the underlying motivation of, like, if we could just get people cleaned up, if we could just get them fixed, if we could just fix people, if we could just get you to stop doing this and stop doing this, and all of our efforts are just trying to clean the outside of the cup. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You can get the outside all shiny, and the inside is filled with Ebola virus. You know what I'm talking about? You talk about some of them people, like, they're pretty on the outside, but they are ugly on the inside. And we do this, though. We try to obtain this standard of what we think would make us a good Christian. And what it is, it's a modern twist on 2,000-year-old teachings from the Pharisees. That just say that you could do this and your maker will love you more. The false assumption that you can be good enough. And this is what Stephen is trying to show them. He's trying to show them, listen, you have made mistakes over and over again. And there's this pattern that has formed and you keep killing the very ones that God has sent to bring help to you. But you're not recognizing it. You're not seeing it. You're just concerned with making the outside look good. And to realize you are stubborn people and you're heathen at heart. And to which they would disagree. 
But Stephen's saying it's right there. You have got to stop comparing yourself to other Christians. You have got to stop building your sense of righteousness and holiness based upon the pastor or your friend or your neighbor. Let me tell you, the standard of righteousness has already been set. And that standard is in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And you can't do it. The only thing that can make you righteous and holy is the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. The fact that you might think that you can, my friends, it's laughable. It's laughable. So all this is happening. There's this collide of worlds that's going on. There's this, there's, there's this law and there's grace and what Jesus is bringing it to the inside. And Stephen is, is showing them this. But there's also this moment that happens that's, I believe, very important. Because as they've dri- drug, driven, drove, moved Stephen out of the city, the Bible tells us that there was this young man named Saul. And he was standing there, and he was watching. And as they got ready to stone him, the Bible says that they laid their coats at his feet. And so Saul's there, and he's watching them stone. He's watching this mob that has literally like yelled and screamed, put their hands over their ears, made them go out of the city, and they're stoning them, and they've laid their coats at his feet. Hold on to that for a moment. So this week, uh, I went to lunch with Randy. Randy was the guitar player here this morning, which is... Not just a guitar player, but the guitar player. I'm telling you, like this guy, like true story. We actually had some people come in this week, and I was joking around. I was like, this is Randy. Like he, he opened up for Leonard Skinner. And like I was just joking. And then later on, Randy was like, yeah, so that time I opened up for Leonard. It's like, you really did that? It's like, yeah, me and the bass player, we were hanging. I'm like, dude, like, you're amazing. Like the, the guy, anyway, so... Yeah, I don't know. We're getting shirts made up. Randy fan club. Um, They'll be on sale next week. Uh, But Randy's telling me the story, and he's telling me about this moment that, you know, he's he's touring with these bands. He's doing all this stuff. He's going. He's playing all this music. He's not a Christian at the time, but he makes his way into this church. And when the pastor saw him, he got up in the pulpit, and he said these words. He said, well, I had a sermon to preach this morning but I feel like God's put something else on my heart. And I feel like I should talk about why it's a sin to have long hair. <laughs> Which Randy had long hair. And Randy's just telling me about this moment. You know, he's, he's there and he's in his church. And, and all, he's, all he's hearing is this condemnation about how he's going to hell because of the length of his hair. He told me, he's like, man, I couldn't like slide underneath that pew low enough. He said, I had a buddy with me, but he was already down there. <laughs> And so he's telling me the story, and, and you know, there's that, that first thought of just like, God, what is that pastor thinking? Like, how absolutely just dumb is that? Like, where in the Bible do you read that if you, like, and then I, then I thought to myself, you know what? He's just teaching what he's been taught. See, someone else, some, maybe his father 
or, 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 or his pastor, some of, somebody else laid a coat at his feet, and that coat said that if you had long hair, you're going to hell. And so now he's reproducing in others what's only been put in him. And I thought, oh, man. And, and, and that's, that's what's happening. When you, you look at the life of Saul, later on, Saul would go on to, 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 to take Christians and throw them in jail and do everything he can to, to fight against the gospel. And why did he do this? Because he was just doing what he was taught to do. Because the coats had been laid at his feet. Time and time again, they had been laid at his feet. And he's just reproducing not what he's read in the scriptures, but he's only reproducing what's been taught to him and told him, and this is what makes you right, and this is what makes you righteous. But then there's this moment where God gets a hold of him. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, hold on. I thought I was doing all this for you. Uh, I, 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 I'm the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Uh, in keeping the law, like there's no one I compares. I, I'm just doing what I've been taught to do. People have laid these coats at my feet time and time again. I, I was there for the, 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 the stoning of Stephen. And here's another like, side note. Like this book in Acts is written by Luke, and Luke was a traveling companion to Saul. And so when Luke writes this in Acts, you know that him and him and Paul have had conversations together. And Paul has told Luke, I was there. Uh, I'm here where I am now, and we're traveling and we're preaching the gospel and all these things. But Luke, I gotta tell you, you gotta write this too. I was that young man. I cheered him on. That was me. And you could almost, when you read it, you could almost just hear it in Paul's voice. Just the shame of knowing I did that. Almost the shame of knowing, like, I, I've taught people that, like, it's the length of your hair that makes you a good Christian. I, I remember, actually, whenever I went off to Bible school, the school that I went to was very much legalistic in a lot of ways, and one of the rules was that no guys could have long hair. And I remember uh, a group I was kind of talking to the deans, and we were saying, you know, this is just crazy. This is not, and, like, and we had the whole theological of, like, this is not the Scripture. As a matter of fact, you know, every time you see a picture of Jesus, it's with long hair. Like, so what's the deal? But I'll never forget what he said to me. It was, it was a group, what he said to this group. He said this. He said, listen, you could wear your hair as long as you want, as long as its roots don't touch your heart. Right? Some of y'all will get that one later. And I just, I just remember thinking, and there's this moment. There's here. Paul has witnessed it. The coats have been laid at his feet. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then all of a sudden, here's the thing. As these worlds collide, religion's easy. Grace is very, very messy. Because grace... Grace calls tax collectors and fishermen and sinners. And grace calls killers and says, you know what? I've got something else in store for you. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to get so a hold of you. There's something so much that I put inside of you. We're going to have to change your name to Paul. You can't be Saul anymore. Because listen, there's a grace that's going to overtake your life and all of the things that you thought you were doing for God. Hold on, there's going to be a twist on it. It's not about just cleaning the outside of the cup. I'm about to clean something on the inside of your life. And if you want your life to get better, and if you want the patterns to break, and if you want God to do something, sometimes it means God getting a hold of us. 
Sometimes it means, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, God, I, I thought I was teaching it right. I thought I was doing it right. I was doing all this for you. And God says, no, you've actually been persecuting me. As a matter of fact, you keep persecuting person after person that I keep sending you into your life because you don't like the package in which I send it. Because you're uncomfortable around the sinner. Because that prostitute or that drug dealer, they make you feel uncomfortable as they sit beside you in church. But I'm sending that person into your life because I've got a plan and a call on their life. And as a matter of fact, let me just put it in Scripture. I'm going to use one that has been persecuting, killing Christians to write the New Testament. There is hope for you. There is hope for me. But that hope is built upon the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and not of my works, lest any man should boast. You can't do it. The sheer idea that you could work your way in to the love of God is laughable. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the